Passages, I'm Rachel Powell, and this is Passages Voice. Often the Christians of the Middle East seem very shrouded in mystery. Join me today as we speak with an Iranian-born Christian about her experience and who her people are. Rachel Powell, and I have the pleasure to be here with Juliana Tamarazzi. She is a senior fellow at the Philos Project and is also founder and president of the Iraqi Christian Relief Council. Um, Juliana is going to be here telling us a little bit more about um, her, her background. First, she was born in Iran, um, but also about who are the Christians of Iraq. Um, so thank you for joining me today, Juliana. Thank you, Rachel. It's been really um, a pleasure to spend a couple of weeks with you and getting to know you better. Um, so I look forward to working with you in the future. Yes, well, thank you so much for joining us today. But you have a lot of background working with Christians in the Middle East um, and specifically in Iraq. And that is really where I know that your heart lies with your people um, in the Middle East. Can you help our audience <laughs> understand um, a little bit about who are the Christians of Iraq? Sure. Um, I have to tell you, a lot of people ask me in America, why, you're born in Iran, you're, an Assyrian, you're a Christian in Iran, so why do you even think of Iraq, especially then Iran-Iraq war where, um, was raging on for eight years and you were affected by it, I was affected by it when I was uh, uh, growing up in Iran. What they miss on a lot of occasions is that I'm ethnically not Persian. Ethnically, I'm an Assyrian and I'm a Catholic. Um, I follow the Catholic faith. Um, and the Assyrian homeland, ancient homeland, is northern Iraq, southern Turkey. So for me, Iraq is the ancestral homeland. Uh, and I serve the Assyrian, uh, also known as Chaldean and Syriac, uh, community worldwide um, to the best of my ability. The reason I focus on Iraq is because uh, our persecution, our recent persecution um, started in 2003 when uh, the American invasion happened. <clears throat> there were, um, we were caught really in the beginning uh, in, the in the crossfire between Shiites and Sunnis that were fighting, but then terrorists found their safe haven in Iraq and they started wreaking havoc on 1.5 million uh, Iraqi Christians who are Assyrians, Chaldeans, and Syriacs. And today, uh, from 1.5 million, we have been dwindled down to less than 200,000. So within 13, 14 years, right in front of people, the world's eye, eyes, um, 1.3 million have been displaced, and no one really has done anything substantial about that. So who are the Iraqi Christians? Um, uh, ethnically, they're not Arabs. Ethnically, they are of the um, Assyrian ethnicity, if you will, and uh, they identify themselves, some of them uh, as Assyrians, some of them as Chaldeans, some of them as Syriacs. Uh, there are different denominations among them. Uh, and I must go back, Rachel, for one moment and say, we as Christians of Iraq, of Mesopotamia, if you remember from the Old Testament, ancient Mesopotamia, um, we converted to Christianity through St. Thomas the Apostle. So it's mm -hmm. Doubting Thomas, with St. Bartholomew and Thaddeus came to Mesopotamia, brought Christianity or the way to us, and we became really the original evangelists. We took Christianity during the 7th century until the 12th century, 13th century to the east mm -hmm. and to the north. 
So we brought it to Tibet, we brought it to India, to China, to the Philippines, to Japan even. So, um, and that evangelization came to a big halt when Tamer Lane um, came and did his Islamic conquest. So these are the Iraqi Christians. They became Christians almost 2,000 years ago. They have paid a heavy, heavy price for being Christian. Um, and they still do till today, but uh, they refuse to renounce their faith. That is amazing. That is amazing. So you kind of already touched a little bit on um, their history and whether or not the persecution is new, because obviously something that I didn't realize was that they were some of the original church. Uh, we in the West tend to think that we are the church and we forget that we're not the original church. We're actually much newer than where you're from, where the apostles did take the gospel um, to your region, which I, I think is absolutely amazing. But the persecution is not new. You guys have faced it for many, many years. But can you tell us a little bit about, um, for those who do who are still in Iraq, what is the situation like for them? Um, and, and what are they hoping for? What is their hope and, and what can we in the West do with that hope? <clears throat> so um, the Christians in Iraq generally are um, broken into different denominations, right? So there are evangelicals there. That's a, that's a small number, but there are evangelicals there. there are, they follow the Chaldean faith, which is the Catholicism. And there are others who follow Syriacs and the Church of the East. And, um, and I'll tell you, when, when, we, when I go to Iraq, I go to Iraq often, and for the past few years, I've been going there. Um, there are a couple of things that happen under persecution. Um, your faith becomes stronger. At the same time, you, some question, why, God, why is this happening to us? And some people say, they've actually told me, um, don't cry because I cry when I'm there. They've told me, do not cry because we are proud to wear the the crown of martyrdom, which is such a big thing to say um, as someone who is facing persecution. And the others asked me, why do you weep? Don't you know, don't you think that we're being used as, uh, as an instrument for the Lord's bigger plan maybe for the Middle East? This speaks to me of a deeply rooted Christian faith, right? But at the same time, they're humans. Mm -hmm. And the suffering is very real, Rachel. You met some of these people in Jordan when we were in Jordan. These people, the Christians of Iraq, were not cave people. They, they had mansions, they had homes, many owned businesses. Many of them were doctors and lawyers. Many served the American army as translators, right? They have lost everything overnight. They have been on the run since 2003 from town to town. First, it was Al-Qaeda. Uh, Al-Qaeda transformed uh, into the Islamic State of Iraq, ISI and then became ISIS, Islamic, Iraq of, uh, Islamic State of Iraq and Syria. And they have been chased from town to town until they've been chased out of the country, out of the ancestral land. So um, the 200,000, I'll talk to you about that, but also there are others that have been displaced in other countries, right? Mm -hmm. So the hope of, so the current situation of the Christians inside Iraq is there are still, first of all, first of all, a lot of Westerners think that um, Christians lived in refugee camps everywhere. Well, I'm here to tell you, as someone who's eyewitness and you eyewitnessed it yourself mm -hmm. uh, last week, the only place that Christians are in camps are in northern Iraq. 
and in Baghdad. Every, anywhere else, they have lived in slums. They have lived in ungodly conditions, in bad neighborhoods of cities such as Amman in Jordan, different villages, or Istanbul, for example, in Turkey, and also in uh, Lebanon. Inside Iraq, there are currently there are three camps that are still open out of many. There were there were dozens of camps that were open, but a lot of people, because ISIS has been pushed out of their mm-hmm. areas that where they used to live, people have returned. They've returned to nothingness. Many of them, their homes have been either partially destroyed, meaning collapsed. Imagine yourselves living in a half-destroyed home. Um, most of them, their homes have been burnt by this chemical material that is dangerous to breathe, but they still choose to return. Uh, Some who are still in the camps, their homes are not livable, so they're stuck in the camp. These people have returned, correct? So there are, the only place that Christians were really living in camps were uh, in northern Iraq and in Baghdad. There are currently three camps out of dozens. There are only three that are in existence. The rest of the community has been living um, either in in Lebanon, in uh, really terrible conditions in Jordan, in Amman, and in Turkey, in small villages or in Istanbul and Ankara, in a really in really bad neighborhoods, um, some have found refuge in the in Europe and in Australia and in America and North America. Um, when you go to Iraq, people have returned. Most have returned to their homes, but some of them, their homes are partially destroyed, meaning. They're sitting and the ceiling has collapsed, but there's an area where you can sit and eat and sleep. And the building is not safe, but you still choose to go back, right? The others' homes have been burned by this chemical material that is dangerous to breathe in, but they still choose to go. Um, And the ones that are still in refugee camps, their homes are not livable. So um, they still have hope, but what they require is security. They don't know when the next ISIS is going to rise. They don't know when the next time will be when the Kurdish Peshmerga or the Iraqi army will betray them because that's what happened. They betrayed them when ISIS was coming and they left them vulnerable. These people want security. These people want economy to be back and they want to be able to be educated. Churches are being rebuilt. I'll be honest with you, Rachel, which for me, I don't need to, they say, I'm, I'm not speaking on my own you know, on my own, I'm being the voice of these people, they tell me our religion is extremely important for us, our faith, but we don't need a church to be a mansion or made of marble when my home is destroyed. Help me fix my home. Uh, And then I'll worship inside a church that is half burnt. It's okay. But help me fix my home, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of people say that to us. So their hope is to be able to rebuild their lives. Most but some are so tired of being chased away, are so tired of their kids not potentially having a future, Mm -hmm. and they want to find their way to um, America, to Europe, for example. And so with that, what is their opportunity to um, find their way to other places and other countries? Do they have that opportunity, and is there a path open for them for immigration? It's very complicated. Majority of refugees in Jordan and in Turkey, for example, they are not given an official refugee status because if the name refugee is attached to them um, bureaucratically or officially as a process, then UNHCR is, which is United Nations um, 
uh, higher commission on refugees will have to give them help aid right mm -hmm. and unfortunately and this is very real what I'm telling you Rachel and again you witness it yourself uh, there is a discrimination that goes on um, against the Christians of Iraq and Syria because when Muslims come in Muslims stay probably in refugee uh, situations for a few months if they choose to go to the West they easily go to the West uh, but if you don't have a refugee status you're not aided by UNHCR Two, you don't have a permit to work there are um, thousands of uh, Syrian Muslim refugees in Jordan that live in this camp that we met we went to uh, called Al-Zatari. They have work permit. They're able to work in Amman or elsewhere and they go back to their camp, right? But mm -hmm. Christians, uh, we met uh, at least 12 families that talk about their devastation, their situation. Mm -hmm. So what is it that they need, these people outside, outside Iraq? They need funding for rent because rent is expensive. Who pays their rent because they're not allowed to work? Is their family members from abroad? But that comes once in a while. A lot of these people are sick. A lot of them have cancer. So for, for example, you remember the little girl that we met, uh, her sister has leukemia. Um, and imagine, just imagine yourselves, I'm talking to you, the audience. Imagine, God forbid, God forbid, if you're sick or if your loved one is sick and you don't have funding to seek treatment, you're living in a refugee in a in a terrible situation without a refugee status that is given to you, um, and you have to battle cancer, God forbid, or your loved one has to battle cancer. What your morale would be like? I want you to put yourselves in these people's shoes, and we as Christians are commanded to stand with our fellow brethren. It is commanded and is expected of us to hurt when another part of the body of Christ hurts. But unfortunately, Rachel, there is a sense of a very real apathy that has sunk in the hearts and minds of the churchgoers, the people, people in the pews. I've been doing this work since 2006, officially since 2007. And I tell you, unfortunately, the United States Christians have become, have been fed or have transformed into uh, people that sensationally they rise, they want to do something and they do something quickly and then they forget. It moves off their radar and yet the suffering continues. How many people wept, older men who ought to be in their own comfort of their home, they're 78 years old, 80 years old, they don't have their kids with them or they don't have their grandkids with them or their kids are handicapped, they've worked all their lives. And now they're knocking on, you know, on people's doors to receive assistance. Talk about the stripping of human dignity. Why? Because they're Christian. So we have an obligation. We have an obligation as Christians and as humans to stand in unity mm -hmm. and solidarity, not just by prayer, follow it with deeds. That is something that is hard for us because in the West, we don't see it every day and we don't experience um, things in the same way. And so that's why I'm very happy that you are speaking with us today. Thank you so much for taking the time to do that. But what is, obviously, as people in the West, I think a lot of times our inaction comes from not exactly knowing what the next step is. Um, so we pray, um, but what else can we do um, in, in our own environments, in our own um, communities, to make a difference for our brothers and sisters in the Middle East? So Iraq and their lives 
these Christian lives are a blank slate. They have nothing left. They used to have sophisticated infrastructure. They used to have schools and hospitals and universities and kindergartens. I mean, they had normal lives like we do in America, and everything has been broken. Everything has been stolen by ISIS. Even the cattle was stolen. Their stores, the items in the stores were stolen. I tell you, you will not believe until you see it. Their window frames, their window glasses were stolen. Okay? So, it's a blank slate. You can invite us to come speak to your churches. You can uh, remain in touch with us at Philos Project and also through my own organization. So, philosproject.org is uh, the website to visit. You can follow us on social media, um, Twitter handle, Philos Project, website, or not website, but uh, Facebook page, Philos Project. Uh, also through Iraqi Christian Relief Council, which is victimsofisis.org. You can also follow us on Twitter uh, at Iraqi Christian. Please note, it's Iraqi Christian. There are other Twitter handles that um, are similar, but ours is Iraqi Christian. And also on Facebook, Iraqi Christian Relief Council. You can stay in touch with us. Bring us to your communities. Let us uh, paint a human picture on the suffering. There are multiple specific projects that we can hand over to you that you can support. For example, you can support the kindergartens that have been destroyed, that don't have any toys anymore. Uh, or you can help women, empower women to um, rebuild their lives by creating, for example, an opportunity for them to take care of the el elderly there. Because the, culturally, uh, in the Middle East, we don't put our elderly into a home. They stay in their homes. And a lot of, in a, many hundreds of cases, where their elder, the elderly have been left alone because their kids have migrated to the West. And there are those widows whose husbands have been executed by ISIS that need to put food on the table for their children. And we want to employ those women to take care of these elderly. So you are building community, a community this way. Or if you want to help rebuild a home, if a home has been destroyed, it costs about $2,500, depending on the house's size, uh, to help either rehab most of it or rehab the whole thing and make it livable. My friends, people have returned to this area called the Nineveh Plain, which is right on the outskirts of Mosul. This is where majority of those who ISIS displaced four years ago um, used to live and have returned. But in one of the towns, one of the cities that was heavily populated with Christians. 60,000 Christians lived in this city called Baghdadi or Karakosh. They don't have clean water. When they open the water to, uh, for washing, for example, either it's coffee color, like mud color, or it's so white because it's packed with chlorine. Mm -hmm. So what does that do? It causes diseases on skin. They go to the doctor, the doctor prescribes medicine, they don't have the money for medicine. So you can partake in digging wells. We dig wells, ICRC, my organization, digs wells, rehabs homes, provides medicine, uh, provides support for education, provides support for the women, provides support for the children. And you can do it through uh, the Philos Project. You can reach us, we can do this, you can do it through the Iraqi Christian Relief Council. And a lot of your audience uh, passages alums have come to the Middle East 
and have touched the Holy Land. And I tell you, the second Holy Land, I believe, is Iraq because of all the biblical activities that have happened there. Um, my, my message to you is please do not forsake your West, Eastern brothers and sisters who have suffered tremendously for the last 2,000 years for their faith, but they've kept it strong. Um, and I promise you, God will bless you a hundred times over if he sees that in addition to prayer, you're actually taking a step uh, towards rebuilding those people's lives who have remained faithful to him. Thank you so much, Juliana, for letting us know exactly how we can help and what we can do in, in passages. If you guys are interested in being at all involved, um, let us know. Uh, we we want to get you in contact with Juliana personally um, and help you understand that you can have her speak at your church um, or any other events um, and see how you can get involved. But thank you so much, Juliana, for telling us about your heart and about your people and, and what you care about. Thank you, Rachel. And you know, to me, you and others that came on this Philos Project uh, trip are truly uh, the loudspeakers. You are truly the voice of these people. I am unable to do it alone. It's a lonely world that I'm in. Um, but I count on you to be the ambassadors for Christ. Really, we are the hands and feet, his hands and feet on the ground. Um, and I'm really happy that you're giving me this platform to, um, for both of us, for you and I to be the voice for the voiceless. Thank you so much, Trina. If you would like to learn about ways to be involved in what Juliana is doing, visit passagesisrael.org backslash pulse. From Passages, I'm Rachel Powell. Thank you for listening.